trees at night, sparkling bright. Fields of cotton love, wintry white. When it's Christmas time in New Hey, welcome back to Trummy Podcast. Uh, Deep Thoughts Edition. Uh, where I'm uh, just walking around Unitet Studios on the deck on a beautiful, crisp, calm Saturday afternoon and, in, and ruminating on, on the history of what got Kenneth here, what made me, me. And I was listening to a Tim Ferriss interview where they talk about Brian Grazer, talk to him, rather, and they said, let's start with your four-foot-tall four Jewish grandmother. And it made me think, boy, that would be great if someone started a conversation about my grandfather with me. That started my interview with him. Because, holy, there are people in life that are holy. There are people in life that point you in the right direction and stand as touchstones throughout your entire life. I have the big three were, you know, my grandfather, my mother, my father. And then many people fall in a very distant fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth. However, as important in many ways. But just the seminal moments that I shared with my grandfather and my parents are, are, are the reasons why I'm here and I am what I am. And then also just the... Um, the movement away from them is also what kind of created me, right? That's all we are, really. It's what we were made of, what we were, we were born into, and what we extrapolate from that and then um, create for ourselves. Uh-huh. That's what we do. And I was thinking about old Gramps, old Ken Allen Sr., Kenneth Harrington Allen, born in Lansing, Michigan, who braved across the country with his family of... Six, with a very ill younger sister who had to come to California from Michigan for various reasons. Some of them uh, interesting has to do with my great-grandfather and his woman, his, his, my great-grandmother, and then also the fact that her health, my, uh, my grandfather's sister, was health was deteriorating, and so they sojourned across the U.S., in this amazing trip that really could be a story in and of itself across the West during the Great Depression where in their flying cloud they had this car that was, my great-grandfather was well-to-do, they had a car that was so big it actually had vases, (laughs) yeah, crystal vases where you could hang flowers in it. And they would travel with a, with a, with a uh, canvas water bag on the rear view window, rear view hanger. And, and as you drove, the wind would go through and cool that bag of water. So that as they drove through the desert and so forth, they had cool water to drink until they got to the next outpost. And he saw, in, he saw real Native Americans. He saw real cowboys doing cattle drives. He saw the California condor before it was extinct and uh, eventually ended up in California in San Francisco that's another tale I digress he was the one that 
created my dad just with a big old gadoosh, you know, and put my dad forth. But what I'm saying is, so they grew up in a, a town in, in, in California called San Francisco. It used to be called Yerba Buena. Anybody familiar with that? I think it was 1935 that it changed to San Francisco. I'm blathering. The point is, he grew up there. He was a war veteran. He was flying liberators. And after he finished that up, they decided to join the uh, fire department after a brief stint as a CHP officer. And they lived in the mission until my dad was, I think, about 11 or 12. And then they moved to the Avenues, or what they call Sunset District now. But before, it used to be called the Avenues. They lived on, I think, 40th and Noriega. That's where my father grew up. When my father moved to to Novato, California, he uh, saw someone on the court where he lived was selling the house. And then told my grandparents, guys, buy this place, and then you can be four houses down from us. And you can, you know, take care of the kids. And also, you know, what was not said was, and then later on, as your health's deteriorating, we can take care of you. So they bought the house, which meant that my grandparents were four houses down from me my entire life. Now, my great... My, 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 my parents were, were great people. You have to understand, they're very busy. My dad, you know, Rich Allen is San Francisco firefighter, first firefighter paramedic in San Francisco history. That's right. A hole for applause. And my mother, Mary, aside from growing up in a, a dirt poor home and becoming an ICU nurse at about 20 um, and having to do rounds in Louisville, Kentucky with where she was in charge of like 16 or 17 people on average, which is insane if you're an ICU nurse now to think about the kind of effort that would take. And she took it in stride. In fact, she excelled in it. Um, My mother then became a teacher in San Francisco and she was charged with the task of educating all of the firefighters that needed to now be cross-trained, not just as San Francisco firefighters, but also as EMTs and first responders. Because now the thinking was, you're here, you're all trained professionals, you should learn how to handle medical calls as well as fire calls. Uh, For better or for worse. Now, she had to cycle through thousands of firefighters. And she continued to do that afterwards. But needless to say, very busy people, very pro-community um, lifesavers. Uh, it, it, no other way to say it. I, I mean, working class social heroes that, um, that made society better. Boom. Just made better. There's nothing else you can say. Just, well, they mattered. They were very important people. And I had to deal with the fact that they're not going to be around all day long because they're over at their work. They're, they're, they're making the world a better place. So where was I going to stay? Where could I be? Down at my old grandpa's house. So in the morning, I remember getting up at like 6 in the morning and my mom kind of, you know, in case, got to get up. We're going down to, we're going to go down to Oompa, uh, what the hell did that come? Bunka, Bunka and Bunka Da. That was the name. I don't know where I came up with it, but it was Bunka for my grandfather and grandmother was Bunkada. Going down to Bunka and Bunkada, honey. Come on. And they would bring me down there and I would stay with my grandparents until my mom got home from work. 
which is usually about nine o'clock at night. And while I was there, my grandfather would just educate me. He would just, he was this hero, okay? I mean, a, a, a fucking man's man, number one. Dude, elegant, he was dashing. I would say, I was, you gotta say the guy was dashing. He looked so much like Earl Flynn, in fact, that the kid down the street in the avenues thought that the guy was Zorro. And so the kid down the street would show up at my grandfather's front door wearing a Zorro costume and just stand out in front of it and he would start swinging the sword. He would start jumping over like the cracks in the sidewalk and trying to show my grandfather how Zorro-esque he was so that in hopes that my grandfather would take him under his wing and, you know, train him um, as an apprentice to become Zorro. And every once in a while, my grandfather would go out there and go, I saw the way you jumped that thing. Best way to do that is uh, this way. And he'd show him, and the kid'd be like, oh, "Okay, okay." He'd be like, "All right, just letting you know, I'm watching." And he'd get up and walk away. And the kid, you know, that kind of stuff. He's like, "I just played into it, man. I mean, things I'm Zorro. I'll teach him how to be Zorro. No big deal." So, I mean, just a cool cat. And uh, aside from being that, and aside from flying liberators over the Pacific, he came home and became a, a lifesaver and a regular nine to well. Not nine to five, but how that equates to the firefighting profession, usually a 24-hour shift and then a couple days off. So he was the uh, guy. He was the hero. He was during the fires that were the big ones without any of the masks that we are uh, afforded to fight fires. And he did that until he had a heart attack on duty. And then he retired and became a grandfather full-time, man. And he would take care of us. Yeah, boy. And he would take care of us. And, and what he would do was, it, it, the interesting thing was that he, he was the first guy, I think, that impressed upon me how important it is to have an education. But more than that, it's the, the want to know, the, the desire for knowledge, the desire to read, to, to, to appreciate the finer people and creatures and creations on life, in life and to uh, seek out a higher knowledge of things. And he had a library that had all, he had a whole book series on the great artists of history. And I can remember just going over there and, and kind of dawdling over and kind of pointing at a book and, and looking up at him. He goes, Michelangelo, you want to take a look at that? And, you know, I just kind of, uh-huh. He'd pull it out and you go, okay, here, let's look through this. And he'd go, all right, this is interesting. This is the Pieta. Now, mind you, I don't speak, I, I'm not speaking. It, well, I, I was. I was, I spoke at nine months, no big deal. Anyway, I would, you know, pull that out. And he'd go, no, this is interesting. This is Pieta. This is Mary holding her son after he's been, this is Jesus coming off the cross. Now, what's interesting about this, I want you to pay attention to the toes and the fingers because Michelangelo was, if anything, could nail the small details, and they are so lifelike. Wouldn't you say, look at that? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And he goes, now, here's another crazy thing. Now, the researchers have taken the size and dimensions of Christ here, and if you were to straighten him out and stand him next to Mary, he would be seven foot four, and she would be five foot six. But you can't tell that from the, picture, from, the, from, the, from the sculpture. It looks perfectly anatomical. 
but yet it's not. And he says, I want you to keep that in mind. Sometimes art makes it perfect. But even if you, if you were to actually make that into the real, um, it would be wrong. But maybe that's the reason why we should appreciate art, Case. He used to call me Case, Casey. And I like, remember hearing that stuff and thinking, oh, yeah, okay, maybe there, there is something about creating art. It's, it's not always real. It's more than real. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a pursuit of perfection in the, in the face of um, normal life. Now, that's me just kind of revising that and thinking about it retrospectively. But he would do that. I remember my mom loves loves this story, but she said I, he, I can remember you being in, in Grandpa's arms, in his arms, and us walking through the hallway, which basically doubled as a uh, as an art gallery for him. He had you know in the hallway he had like all these old paintings and pictures, and he had a he had a um, he had a Rembrandt picture. And she said he would sit there and go, now, okay, here's Rembrandt. Now, here's something interesting about Rembrandt. All right, I'm nine months old, you know, or a year, year old, year and a half old. He goes, now, this is interesting. Most painters, you know, you paint on a, on a piece of paper that's white, right? You, when you draw, you draw on white canvas, right? You know, well, see, Rembrandt would paint the whole canvas black first. And then he would paint into it with light he would paint the colors in. And you can see, if you look at this picture, that there, you would think there's a light right above this person as it's hitting because it's brighter here and softer there and darker in the shadows there. And so he was creating this illusion of light. And, and you know, that was kind of his style. Uh, and, and I'd be just kind of, uh-huh, wide-eyed, mouth agape, just, all right. Like I'm like actually understanding what this guy's saying. But it didn't matter. He never goo goo ga ga language with me. He treated me like I was a normal equal, like I was his age. And he would just tell me facts about stuff. And I retained a surprisingly um, a lot of info from that. It's almost like, and I'm thinking about it right now, it's like he, he's kind of like the, that Rembrandt. Like in, in the darkness, he kind of painted illumination for me. Whoa, dude. All right, I just nailed it. Dude. I'm feeling pretty good about uh, my mindset right now. So what he taught me was this. In order to become your full self, you got to have the physicality and you have to have the mentality as well. You have to, the desire to be, to be physically and metaphysically fit. Whew. Guys, I'm telling you, I, I think that like I'm, I'm right now rolling. I, I am firing like a, what, 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 like a Bugatti, call me Bugatti Ken right now. Um, but being mental and metaphysically, you know, intelligent, and then, but also have like the, the skills to be physically capable of, of making, um, you make, make, of doing something with your life. You got to have both. And really, I mean, what's a, what's a leader? What's, a, what's, a, what's the best fire captain you could have? It's somebody that, can do the physical aspects of the job, but also has the, the mindset to look around corners, to figure things out and to, you know, avoid the, the hazards that you have to 
that, that are there and just go directly to the source and solve the problem. And he kind of taught me that early on. It's like you, you, need to be, you need to be both. Just being a brute doesn't mean anything. And just being a mind doesn't mean anything. You've got to be both. You have to be able to aim with your body. You have to be able to aim with your mind and direct your body towards it. So, to me, like, he was the funniest guy that I ever met. I'm not joking. I mean, he literally was the funniest guy I've ever... He, he was still just funny. He would do stuff just for his own laughs. He would do it, and it didn't matter if anybody saw it, but if you caught one of those jokes, you would just laugh and marvel at the same time. I remember, like, later, later in life, when, when they were getting old, my grandmother was just kind of leaning up against something, and he was standing there looking at her. And he went in for a kiss. And she just moved out of the way. And he just, he like snapped his fingers and went, Mr. Damn it. And then just kind of giggled. And my, you know, I, and I saw it and laughed. And he goes, ah, you saw that? And I said, yeah. That, it's just like funny stuff. He would just say weird things. It was, a really, it was interesting. He was interesting. I guess that's the thing. You would see him at a party. You'd be not, you wouldn't know him from Adam. And he would do something that would just make your brain turn on and go, what, what was that you just said? And he, and he would tell you, you know, he was just a funny, he played games. So that's the, that's the thing I remember from old Gramps. He, he, he would bring intelligence, he would bring masculinity, and he would bring a sense of humor about everything together, which is why everybody loved his stories and why everybody just had an affection for him. And the funny thing was, like, when he would tell these stories about being over in the, the Philippines or in war or, or um, in, in uh, the fire department, like, he was never the hero. He was always the guy that got the, the stick. He was always the one that got, you know, uh, what do you call that? You know, the guy that, that got the beat up. Um... And he would always, like, every story where he ended up looking like he did something right, he'd be like, it was always like through no fault of his own had he ended up looking good. Which was so endearing. Because, you know, he would be like, well, I mean, this one time uh, we, were, we were all shooting it in the Philippines and we were trying to shoot at this, uh, this tin can that they were swinging on a line and uh, my buddy and I just walked back. I think this is actually, they were hunting. Yeah, yeah, they're hunting. So he's like... So they came back and they're like, oh, you guys having trouble shooting that? You have to understand we're all vets here and uh, I, I can shoot as good as uh, any of you. In fact, I can pull this off by swinging around and just shooting from the hip. And his buddy goes, yeah, I can do that too. And they're like, oh yeah, let's prove it. So they, him and his buddy just kind of walk off and he goes, in the count of three, we just spun around with our 45s and bang, bang. And the can, bang, boom, slammed. And they went, holy shit, Ken, how'd you pull it off? He goes, I'm telling you, I'm a crack shot. And they go, do it again. He goes, come on now, we did it, we proved it. And he's walking away with his buddy, and they go, how the fuck did we, we just, we've been drinking all night, how did we do that? And he goes, I don't know, just keep walking, though. just keep walking. Don't. <laughs> they think we're heroes, shut up, don't say anything and spoil the illusion. You know, stuff like that where, you know, he was always kind of the butt, but also, un, you know, uh, just serendipitously the hero and I love that character I love that guy you know um, it's 
That's just the guy I want to be. The guy that you want to... You like them and they're like, yeah, you believe that shit? I just saved those people. It's weird. That's <laughs> not me. You know, and it was just, it's just so much, it's so important to have that guy around to just let you know, like, oh, I guess anybody can be a hero. I guess anybody could pull it off. But, uh, it, and it keeps you humble. So that was the thing. He, he just, he was a very humble guy. I remember him saying one time, it was one of the funniest things I'd ever heard. I was probably nine or ten. This guy was talking, and then my grandfather started to say something. He goes, excuse me, uh, Ken, you just interrupted me. And he goes, let, let me tell you something. He's, and the guy said, listen, I was right in the middle of something very important. And, and my grandfather said, listen, sir, uh, I could break wind, and it's still more intelligent than what you were talking about. And it was hilarious. And the guy ended up laughing with him and kind of, you know, put an arm on his shoulder and laughed about it because it's hilarious. And I remember I was like, that was a fart joke. And it got men and women laughing. And, uh, and he called it breaking wind, by the way, which is the coolest, most highbrow way of saying fart. Uh, and it still worked. You know, that kind of shit. The guy just could drop knowledge on the fly that would crack you up. Um, one other thing about him. When he started to get Alzheimer's, he... Um, you start to see what the true colors of someone are when they become altered in some way. I always say if you are an, a diabetic and you get altered because you're low blood sugar, well, you can tell what kind of person they are by the, that moment of them being altered. Some people become very angry. Some people fight you. Some people yell at you. Other people just kind of sit there and... Uh, smile at you and, hey what's going on some people are just kind of absent-minded you know it's same thing I always say to the, my classmates well what do you think they're going to be like or the, uh, the class I'm teaching you know what what would they be like when they have low blood sugar well I I it's usually how are they when they get super drunk some people are mean drunks some people are happy drunks you'll see their true colors when they become altered and you could see with him when he started to become altered who he really was. He was still cracking jokes. Um, I mean, still funny. And um, there were these dolls that my grandmother had in the family room. And my mother was in there with him, sitting there watching TV with him. He used to mark the TV guide, by the way. This is one of the funny things I remember. Every week he'd get the TV guide and he'd go through with a pen and mark the shows that he wanted to watch. So it was a big deal. And um, my grandmother made a TV guide koozie out of yarn that he would wrap the TV guide booklet in for that week and keep, and he would mark his shows. Um, diligent on his shows was my grandfather. But as my mother is sitting with him watching TV, he kind of cants his head to the side and goes, you know those dolls there, that, that one, that girl there, she gets up and walks around sometimes. And my mom goes, yeah, you sure? He goes, yeah, I mean, I've seen her. She's walking around and she's, she's playing hide and seek right now, but uh, usually she walks around she, and she goes, yeah, are you, are you scared of that? And he goes, no, 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 I'm not scared. I'm just, uh, I mean, she's up and walking around. I'm just worried, is, is anybody feeding her? 
And, you know, like, he was concerned. That kind of thing. Like, just, is anybody giving her any food? Like, I'm going to make sure that she's well-nourished. That, that kind of thing. It's just like, oh, man, you're the best. <laughs> you're just a nice guy. There's all sorts of crazy paranormal activity happening around. You're making sure that they have a decent meal. Um, and then uh, another thing was I, I would show up and you know, it's certain later on, he just, he didn't know who I was. He didn't know I was Casey Ken Allen Jr., his grandkid. He didn't put together the relation, right? He didn't have that, that to draw on. But what he did know was I'd knock on the door and he'd open it and he'd see me and he'd smile. And he knew, he knew me. And he could see it and he'd go, Hey, guy. How you, hey, come on in. How you been? How you been? Man, it's been a... Uh, what was the last time I saw you? And, uh, I, yeah, come on. You want something to drink? What would you like? Uh, come on in. Meet, this is Dolores, my wife. And he'd introduce me, you know. And, and he was just... He was a nice, courteous person by default. And, and he'd leave, I'd leave that, you know, after hanging out for, I didn't want to sit there and go, Grandpa, you know who I am, I'm your grandson. It's like, all right, guys, it's okay. They're going to lose their minds eventually. Just enjoy the moment that you have with them. And, uh, at the, you know, and I'd just sit and talk, and how you feeling? You doing good? Oh, yeah, hey, great, doing fantastic. Uh, you know, we got, uh, we got gun smoke coming on at 5. Show me the TV guide, you know. I got it marked here, so if you want to stick around. Um, and after about an hour, hour and a half or whatever, I had to get home. I'd leave and he'd go, well, hey, listen, uh, don't, don't stay away too long next time, huh? Please, please come by. Uh, me and Dolores love having you. And they go, all right, Grant. Well, I'll, I'll talk to you later. And you go, all right. Take it easy. Have a nice day, huh? Merry Christmas or whatever. And, and, and I'd leave. And that is is my grandfather you know i mean just be kind be be happy and and try and uh, learn a lot and try and do the best you can with uh what you got with this one life so i i, I got so many more stories i want to tell about but i just wanted to mention you know how important those early years are with uh really if you can get your children exposed to intelligence and compassion and, and just good people, it will make the difference for their entire lives. And I hope you're lucky enough to have a grandparent or friends or, or you know, a parent like that in your lives because it's made all the difference. Uh, it's kind of again saying if you got that, use that and enjoy it. And I hope you had that fun little uh, recap with me because I like going down memory lane. More stories to come about him because there's just so many that I was hitting on when I was thinking about, when I was relating this to you. So if you got it, use it. Love you, bye.
Let's dance, and that's no idle invitation, ladies and gentlemen, because it comes from Benny Goodman and his orchestra, who take their responsibilities very seriously in purveying good music to the dancing public. And now, an original arrangement by Benny Goodman of Jingle Bells. (laughs) 